This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower because nobody else volunteered. My guest today is Joyce Bosk, uh, someone I've known uh, possibly since I entered the market uh, because she opened her company before I opened mine. And that's hard for me to say. It's rare for me to say. Joyce, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mark. It really is a pleasure to be here with you today. It's taken a while to get you here. And for somebody who does PR, you know, you're you're seemingly gun shy about doing it for yourself. But we're here. <laughs> well, like you, Mark, I do a lot of writing and a lot of blogging. Uh, I don't do books yet. Uh, but um, but gonna... yeah, I, I seldom make appearances, at least uh, at least since COVID anyway. Yeah, I've only started getting back out uh, recently. But uh, let, let's do this. Let's fill in people on who Joyce Bosk is and what Bosco Bell does in our market. Thanks, Mark. Well, as you mentioned, we were founded in 1978. So this is our official, officially our 44th year of business, which is hard for me to say. Um, so in 44 years, you know, you kind of can't be the same person and do the same thing or you'll be bored and everyone else will be bored of you. So you have to reinvent yourself along the way. And um, so through the years, we started out with uh, as a direct marketing firm, then a marketing firm, then a full service firm. And then really now we're focusing mostly on PR and social media. And we partner with other companies to provide other services, such as digital and websites and research and things like that. We started out in B2C, business to consumer, and did the official launch of America Online, which not everybody knows. And that included the very famous, now I'm dating myself, three-dimensional direct mail campaign that actually went all over the country, thousands and thousands and thousands. So that was sort of a first in direct mail marketing was the 3D. Um, No one had done it before. We actually had to get the packaging out of a box company in Baltimore in order to to, uh, execute that campaign. So we were really big in, in direct mail in the beginning. How did the Postal Service deal with that? Were they surprised? I think they were surprised. (laughs) Yeah, particularly with the amount because it was so successful. Uh, The first open rates were like 70%, which was unheard of. I seem to recall getting one. but when you (laughs) Yeah, when when you get a dimensional package in the mail, especially in, in, you know, the 80s, 90s, it it stuck out. It did. Like major. It really did. Yeah. So we did a lot of 3D back then um, and, you know, and direct marketing. And um, it was surprising. You could use it for anyone from a technology company to utility company. Uh, Then we transitioned from, you know, into B2B, business to business, and then into business to government and government to consumers. So, but we've been in the whole B2G space for probably a good part of at least 40 years. So it's been uh, both working with agencies and government contractors. And now 
We only work with government contractors. We're really focused. Uh, it's kind of hard not to work in the GovCon space if you're in the D.C. area and you're in downtown Silver Spring, so you can jump on a metro and be down in the heart of things in you know very short amount of time. Two things I want to point out that uh, one that you do every year and one that you did, uh, I think, just relatively recently. But um, you, you did the what do taglines mean for the top 100, which was really a unique take. What, what, uh, I mean, aside from helping some of those companies come up with the taglines, what, what triggered that for you? Yeah, that was interesting. Well, being a sort of a branding, uh, I guess I've always had a love and a curiosity of branding. And we did the brand, the branding for America Online, AOL, and a ton of other companies in the GovCon space. When uh, when Washington Technology and Nick Wakeman issued their top 100 list, we started about 15 years ago evaluating the slogans. And then every year we kept tra- tracing them to see who changed their slogan, who didn't change their slogan over the years. And it's interesting that you just mentioned that because we just finished this year's article and just sent it to Nick on Monday. So it should be coming out very soon. Very cool. Yeah, that, and then some things are the same, you know, like the average mm-hmm. length of slogans is three, four, five words, and some things still haven't changed, like Ever Vigilant by CACI, which is a uh, phenomenal slogan, one of my favorites. I don't know if Jack came up with that or what, but it has been there since since I've known who they were. No, so it was a it's a local digital marketing agency that we actually work with called Focused Image. They They developed that with them 20 years ago. I know those people. Yeah, they're good good folks. We work a lot yes. with them. Yeah. So the other one you do, and um, I I love it particularly, is the top podcasts, top GovCon podcasts. I love our uh, research. <laughs> really? I mean, you had 75 this year. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's always somebody – uh, always more than one that that I don't know. So I love scouring that list. I love listening to bits and pieces. I mean, some aren't germane to what I want to hear, but a lot are. And if they're not germane to me, they're going to be germane to people that I work with. Right. Absolutely. I think it's, um, and again, you know, it's sort of a labor of love. These things, whether it's the top 100 slogans or the the top podcasts, you know, they're research-based. you got to get in there, dig in there, and and see, you know, sort of what, what would this help someone is really where we come from, is would this help someone? It's similar to our approach to doing white papers, um, which we have on our website, um, and uh, I think four of them that are very current. We just updated. But, you know, this sort of information, I feel, is kind of our duty to help educate the the market and do our part. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of why I write because I'm I'm I want to see, you know, until I put it down, I'm not positive what I'm thinking and how I got there. Yep, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and unless you write, you probably that sounds weird, but <laughs> it's true. It's true. It, it it is true. So let's let's. I mean, basically, I think of Bosco Bell as a PR firm. Um. Is is that accurate? It is. We're we're primarily today we're a PR and social media firm. 
So if our clients require something else, such as websites or paid LinkedIn or, say, uh, webinars or things like that, what I do is look for the appropriate partners that I think are going to work with them based on the size of company, the budget, the chemistry, and also the area that they're in. You know, are they a cyber company? Are they an AI company? Are they a net ops company? Um, And so I really try to match up the expertise. Okay. I don't want to get into that this segment because we're, we're going to take a deep dive. So we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center. I'm here with Joyce Bosk of Bosco Bell, B-O-S-C-O-B-E-L.com. Find Joyce on LinkedIn, B-O-S-C, uh, and, and connect. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Joyce Bosk of Bosco Bell Marketing Communications. Uh, Joyce and I have known one another longer than either of us will care to admit. Um, so if, if, if you're one of those millennials, we've, we've known each other longer than you've been alive probably. So, um, or Xers or wires, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Uh, so let's, let's talk about the, you know, the role of traditional PR. There's always been a lot of media in our market and it's fragmented a lot because of all of the epubs and uh and and government exec hoovering up uh, a lot of the uh the other pubs yeah so absolutely they've really been on an acquisition spree for sure i was thinking about this a lot i don't think the role of traditional pr has really changed that much because the tools we still have to do. I mean, there was, you know, there was a lot of yama in the market about, oh, is the press release dead? It's not dead and it's not going anywhere. It is a staple. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of content that has to be provided. There are more publications now, not less than there were before, because we have all these e-publications that you mentioned. So we still have to be able to provide educational things for our clients to inform the market, whether they're a press release or a media advisory that they're speaking at an upcoming trade show, or whether it's a byline or a blog for their, you know, for their website. Um, you know, if any of those things are still the same and they're still that very, very valid tactics as are case studies and white papers. What has changed though, is really the role of social media and the whole digital uh, aspect and how important, for example, SEO is to the to our customers, to our clients, um, and how do we bring the SEO to our customers? And part of the way we do that is through the content, developing press releases, putting them on the wire, developing fresh content continually. Um, that's really how we can best help our our customers um, achieve the most traffic on their websites. Yeah, I mean, what I'm coaching people and companies on developing thought leadership positions in the market <laughs> content always plays a huge role and how how you present yourself publicly particularly on linkedin plays yeah. a a huge role cuz that that's where you're vetted immediately but you know same thing i i have a i have people pitching me from agencies to get their their clients on my shows and i'm going uh, you know, well, I already know your client. They were on like three months ago. Um, right. Do your homework. Um, 
That's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, um, it's it's so important. You know, in the old days, I think people did sort of press release blast. That's such a huge no, no. Um, you know, everything we do is absolutely customized. So if we are pitching a particular, say, a partic- somebody who's written about a contract, we scan to look for which reporters are, tra- are tracking that opportunity. Um, if we're, you know, you, you just you just don't blasted to everyone. You just look for reporters that are really, truly interested uh, in your topic so that you can zero in on them. So ours is all custom. It's all personal hand notes. There's not a, I haven't done a blast in years. Knowing who the media players are in our market is not a difficult task, but developing relationships with them can be a difficult task depending on how you approach them. So um, when, when you're doing this, I'm, you usually act as as the intermediary. When do you do an actual intro for a client to uh, a Troy Schneider or a Nick Wakeman? Yeah, that's a good question. It's typically when we actually have hard news. You know, if we have soft news, honestly, no one, you know, no one wants to hear it and I don't want to pitch it. So we wait for something that is, um, that is hard news that we know we're going to announce and we begin the relationship, you know, by asking for an introductory briefing, no commitment on their part. But if something emerges, they certainly can do a follow up interview. Um, but it's a great way to introduce that client to that reporter. The other thing I would mention, Mark, is that the prepping for the client is really important because we have to gain those reporters trust so that. The folks like Nick and Ross and, and Troy, they know that we are going to give them a, a, a spokesperson that has been trained, is educated, knows what to basically the do's and don'ts, knows you know how tough their job is and won't waste their time and, um, and won't ask them you know when the article's coming out. <laughs> And if they can review it in advance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so many missteps that I, I hate to call them, you know, newbies, but, but people who aren't used to dealing directly with the press, there's so many mistakes they can make if they try it on their own. And, you know, I do tell people, yeah, they're on, they're on LinkedIn. They're all on LinkedIn. They're there for a reason. They're on Twitter the re- too, most of them. Yeah. But the, they're, they're there not necessarily to hear every pitch from every company in the market. Right. Absolutely. It's just, there's just, it would be overwhelming. And I guess, you know, that is the other important thing to do is that you can build a certain amount of a relationship with these reporters in advance if they participate um, in any of the social media. I mean, almost all of them, virtually 99.9% of them are on LinkedIn. Um, they may not have their contact info information on it, but they're on LinkedIn, but a lot of them are on Twitter. So um, I think the other thing for our clients is we basically work with four platforms. So if somebody needs to do TikTok, I'm, we're not your people. But we work with LinkedIn for the business opportunities and for recruitment and for pre-RFP work. We work with Facebook for our clients to be able, again, for recruitment, employee retention, to show the culture of the company. We work with Instagram for the same reasons we work with Facebook, except that we're trying to pitch to a slightly younger audience. And we work with Twitter for thought leadership. 
to retweet reporters, to find uh, articles of interest that we want to comment on and share that information, you know, with the broader community. So each platform has its its own purpose and not all clients use all four and some do. Okay. That's good to know because I don't use Instagram at all. I use Twitter as a push mechanism. Um, I post stuff occasionally on Facebook, but primarily, uh, you know this, I'm 99% LinkedIn. Yes. Um, You're the expert. And I love it. It's my favorite sandbox ever. I know. Uh, (laughs) Yes, it's one of mine too. I do love it. Yeah, and and I can't imagine the uh, the the world without it anymore. So, but you know when when the migration from the uh, the traditional PR to the Web two O based, you know, David Merriman Scott books, the new rules of marketing and PR encouraged people to do a lot of DIY stuff, and it was cool that people could do the DIY stuff, but you know more than half of them couldn't write. Um, so, well, I mean, you know, making it, making a sentence that makes sense is not easy, uh, apparently for a lot of people. Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, I love the DIY idea, but honestly, not everyone can do it well. And, you know, Mark, a testament to you that you have been outstanding in this area, um, in sort of leading the pack with DIY and, um, but it is very difficult because in our industry, you sort of have to learn the industry which is already, you know, that's already like how many years of knowledge. Then you have to, you know, learn the the particular tools and each one is different and has a different best practice. And, um, and it's just, it's just an awful lot to learn. I mean, you could be up and running, but it might take you a couple of years to get there. Yeah. I'm a DIY guy. You know, I blogged, uh, I haven't written on my own blog for a while though, because I write so much on LinkedIn, but you know, in large part, I'm very much a traditional media guy because I have the the show here. I yeah. write for Bloomberg. I write for Washington Technology. And on occasion, I write for Executive Mosaic. And my articles are picked up elsewhere. So without without traditional media, I think I would be missing, you know, 80, 90 percent of my audience. Yeah, that's why I say traditional media is in no way dead. And it supports... They, you know, they have to work together. They cross-pollinate, just like you said. Well, you use Twitter to push things out on LinkedIn, and and so do we. They really do work in in tandem together. And you know, you wouldn't really need Facebook because you're not really hiring and recruiting and trying to show people here's the M Tower culture. We already know you. You're you. You know. <laughs> yeah, I have no choice in that. <laughs> Like Popeye, I am what I am. You are what you are. I I are what I are. Um, We're going to take a deep dive into two other topics. So I'm going to take a break here. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll I'll be back with Joyce. We're going to take a deep look into a, a couple of concepts that have been with us for a while, but Joyce puts a slightly different spin on them as usual. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Joyce Bosk of Bosco Bell Marketing Communications. You can find Joyce at Bosco Bell, B-O-S-C-O-B-E-L, 
com. You can find Joyce on LinkedIn, Joyce Bosk. Um, and I suggest you do so. Joyce has some great stuff. Her blog uh, and, and some of the downloads on her website are just absolutely cool. And we discussed them earlier. So if you missed them, go back and listen again. Because um, we're, <laughs> we're not repeating. We have too much stuff to cover. So, you know, when when the B2B world apparently discovered account-based marketing, there was a lot of buzz, you know, starting, what, half a dozen years or so ago. We've been doing this here forever. So um, give, give me your, give me your spin, the, the rise of, uh, of, of ABM. Yeah, absolutely. So account-based marketing, um, as you mentioned, it has been, uh, it has been in the B2G space and it's probably one of the first times, you know, B2B kind of took from B2G. So, um, and for us, and actually you, you launched the concept, I think one of the first people, if not the first people to, to talk about ABM was an, an article in 2007 in Wash Tech. And you talked about the components of account-based marketing. So you're thinking about the account as a whole. So we're looking at, okay, the army. So the army is the account, right? That the customer is going after. Um, but then what we did is we drilled down from account-based marketing concept. Okay, that's the army. But now the army has a particular opportunity. So the opportunity, let's just say, I'll, I'll mention some older ones just because the newer ones, I can't mention um, any names. But so let's just say, you know, ITES and TES, those are um, opportunities. So we call that OBM for opportunity-based marketing. So OBM to us is a subset of account-based marketing. So we're basically drilling down. So the umbrella is account-based marketing. We drill down to opportunity-based marketing. And then, but opportunity-based marketing has got a couple prongs to it. And that first prong is pre-RFP marketing, which you have been hearing about, and I'm sure you've had other people speak about it uh, in the past. Our first pre-RFP win was in June of 2002. So that is 20 years ago. That's pretty damn cool. It was very cool. It was for NCI who won ITES. And NCI at that point was, again, under $300 million company, was, uh, you know, a smaller business people hadn't heard of. They had no army footprint. They they were 100% sub. And this, again, the power of the pre-RFP, it's like a, it's like a four, you know, four-legged stool. All four components have got to be working. You've got to have the right BD and capture, the right proposal team, the right PR team, right? So all of those components have to be in place. BD, capture, proposal, marketing, you know, a PR firm um, and a proposal firm. And everybody's got to be working together in order to, you know, in order for the, you know, one leg of the stool working on its own is, is not going to get you very far. I hate to bring up another media place, but uh, the government executive leading brand study uh, for years now has has hyped the idea that in the procurement process, being known is factor number one. So that visibility factor is important when you're putting your your RFP out so it floats to the top instead of floating to the bottom 
for the contracting officer to read. The other component of that, and it's probably at least as important, is being a credible source. So having the combination of those two is is key. And your pre-RFP marketing plays into that really well. So you're right, Mark. So pre-RFP marketing, um, as we talked about, has been has been in the market for over 20 years. And it really involves, first of all, working with the business development and capture staff to fully understand that opportunity. And what are the strengths and the weaknesses? Who are the competitors? Um, who is your team, for example? What are your differentiators? What are your proof points? Uh, what are your win themes? And then how do we get those into the market? Because, you know, a lot of times we have to build the brand first. So you have to build the brand and then you can drill down and start educating the market on why our subject matter experts for our clients are really have something worthwhile to say. Is we only have a certain window that we can work with the pre-RFP opportunity before it actually does drop. Yeah, and then we're in the quiet period, but... Can we get a little bit into the components? Uh, so when when you're thinking of the pre-RFP, is there a starting point with the type of information you want to get out? Yeah, there is a starting point. So as, as clear as the business development and capture team can be about the opportunity and what what is exactly, what is the criteria of it? What are the requirements? What are the five, six, seven, eight most important things? Then once we have that, what do we map to it? So for example, what customers and what qualifications map to it? Do we have any case studies or white papers that are in any way relevant that we can tweak uh, to further uh, make them specific to that opportunity? What is a, What trade shows are coming up that might be uh, really uh, pertinent and relevant. So for example, TechNet Augusta is coming up in August of, of this year. That would be really important if you were, a, you know, if you were a NetOps uh, kind of a company. Uh, so those are the kinds of things you, you really look for. What articles should we be writing? What reporters are even tracking this contract? Some reporters are interested in contracts, some are not. And so we want to be able to see what are they reading about that so that we can start to position our client as a thought leader in this matter. Yeah, and the lead time is important. So when I'm talking Mm -hmm. to companies that want to get on uh, vehicles where we know there's going to be an open period or a rebid period like a soup or uh, CIO SB3 and you know ITES, which is your first uh, pre-RFP win, and it's still – going strong I, I can't imagine i can't remember which iteration it is right now uh is it four or five i don't know <laughs> so, um, so many yeah but i mean very you know, successful vehicle the the lead time on these you know i tell people a minimum three years out if you want to get on a, a gwac like soup or ciosp four if it ever comes out <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, um, absolutely. The lead time is is definitely, you know, two to three years. It's, you've got to get ahead of this opportunity in order to get all the components in play. There's, you know, because there's case studies, there's microsites, there's 
you know, there's uh, white papers, there's even videos are really important right now um, for uh, for pre RFP marketing. If you can't get to the, you know, to the uh, the decision makers and influencers, perhaps your video can. Uh, can. Um, paid LinkedIn is one of the newer things that's been going around in the last, I guess, last half a dozen years, where with paid LinkedIn, of course, you can drill down and actually find you know, all the decision makers and all of the influencers that you want to reach. We do it for bases. We do it. We've done it several times for the um, Army Proving Ground in Aberdeen, uh, Maryland, very successfully, several contracts we've helped uh, clients win. And a lot of that has been paid LinkedIn because paid LinkedIn is sort of like double duty, right? Remember the old days we talked about double duty advertising, but paid LinkedIn begins to build the brand for the company, particularly a small to mid tier. It's really vital when you've got a $200 million company fighting a Goliath $3 billion company. So it builds the brand. It reaches specifically the decision makers and influencers. But the other thing, it can also start the recruitment effort. And by starting the recruitment effort, it sends a signal not only to to government, but to the incumbent that this company is serious and is not intimidated by your large size. All right. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to wrap up on the whole ABM OBM thing and get Joyce's final advice for uh, for companies that, that uh, need help in this arena. You're listening to Amtower Off Center. I'll be back with Joyce right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Joyce Bosca, Boscabel Marketing. Um, if you need really good PR, you, you got to talk to Joyce. You got to have her in the mix. Um, so, Joyce, um, we, we've been we've been talking about your opportunity based marketing, and uh, in a, in a lot of ways, how smalls can compete against large. But on your on your wheel, uh, the the graphic that you provided me, there's eight areas. Uh, is it eight or nine areas that that uh, companies can do? But not everybody can do them all. So if you're a smaller company with a smaller budget, um, where I mean, market research is is kind of a must to understand what's going on. So hopefully your BD people are out there. But take take it. Uh, granularly from you know the the small company competing where where exactly should they spend their their limited dollars on this i think part of it's going to depend mark on where they entered into the um how far ahead they are if they're a year ahead if they're two years ahead if they're three years ahead they have a little more time but um you know, so for example, some clients, if they're early, if they're early enough ahead, they can even form a microsite and start building that out. Um, and then I think uh, starting to do announcements, announce your teammates when you're ready, uh, start to build content, look at, again, look at the criteria that is in that RFP and create a series of content that, that relates to the criteria of what the government is looking for. And by a series of content, it could be byline articles that we place in uh, some of the trade journals. It could be blogs. Um, it could be white papers and it could be case studies. So what past performances are most relevant? Those are the things that are, um, that 
you know, if you're a small to mid-sized company, you can typically do. But small and mid-sized companies are also finding budgets for uh, pertinent trade shows, like we talked about, some of them that are extremely targeted, and also for, um, you know, programmatic digital marketing, such as LinkedIn, where the call to action might be a white paper or it could be a video or something that's exciting that that is going to really show off the company. So those, I think, are the primary uh, the primary tools. Some of the other ones are sort of nice to have, but they're not must haves. OK, we're. When when we're going after something, I like, especially for small businesses, I like them to focus on one, two, max three areas of strengths that they bring to the market, uh, but always lead with, with your heavy. Um, and, and I'm assuming you, you're basically in, in that same, uh, uh, you're in agreement Three key messages. Absolutely. You know, Mark, one of the things I learned from um, Bob Lofeld, who I know has been uh, one of the people that you've spoken with, is when you develop a proposal, you develop your key points and your key messages and then a proof point for each one. So for us, what's really important to understand is not just what is it that you're saying about yourself that's so fantastic, you know, compared to your competition, but what is your proof point about that? Because to just say something great, but not have a proof point is it's sort of like, you know, that's death in a proposal. So if it's death in a proposal, it's going to be death in positioning for that proposal as well. Okay. So, um, but you know, let's, let's go back to the company website. How are, are you going to use the microsite to emphasize those things? Should the the smaller companies emphasize areas of expertise on their their regular website? Do they enunciate it through social? Um, Absolutely. And the one thing we didn't talk about, so definitely on the website, there should be a resources section. There should be blogs that you can um, that are developed internally. Um, there could be a microsite as well. And um, the other aspect that we talked about is webinars and how a webinar for a company can really position it to win. So um, we talked earlier about Arolia winning Air Warrior, and um, that was one of the things that they did as well. We did public relations. We did bylined articles. We did thought leadership. We did social media and we did webinars because webinars, you know, can be very educational as well. And they create us, they create the image of a thought leader. And when a small business does a webinar, it really says to, it says we're all in. It says we're all in. We're making a huge investment here. Let's remind people who the four legs are. So you got the marketing. So we've got the marketing. We've got the, um, the external PR firm typically, because most companies that are small don't have, don't yeah. have PR inside. Then we have um, business development and capture. And then the last leg of the stool is proposal. So those are the four key elements. Proposal, BD and capture, which with sm- some small companies, it can even be the same person. And then the internal marketing contact, who's gathering all of this information for us, and then the external PR social media firm. Okay. We have a few minutes left, so I'd really like to touch on the uh, 
the post win scenario too. And I apologize for not bringing that up earlier, but um, part of your, your opportunity based marketing is, is that post award campaign. It is. And I think, you know, so many people now are talking about pre RFP, but they're not thinking about post RFP. That's sort of like, okay, we raise all this visibility and now the curtain goes down and we go dark. We shouldn't be going dark. We should be continuing to position our subject matter experts for, um, according to the criteria. You got to keep, you got to keep educating and keep positioning you as an expert. Cause remember, if there's an eye test one, there's a two, there's a three, there's a four and so forth. Um, so also, um, one of the things you can do is you can add local public officials to your press list and, and, and let them know about the win. So they may come and they may do a visit. It raises the brand in the local market as well. The other critical part of post marketing is the recruitment aspect. So the recruitment messaging, we incorporate that into the press releases that we win, into the pitches to the local public officials, and we include that pretty much everywhere because we have to let everyone know that we are now staffing up to serve. Uh, those are all the things. And then, you know, contract milestones, whatever the contract milestones are, it could be three months, it could be six months, it could be a year later, but you, you know, you don't just want to go silent. You've been working on this thing for two or three years ahead of the opportunity. So you should be working, you should be working on it as well in the post RFP scenario and the post win scenario. Right. And if it's an IDIQ or a GWAC, there's going to be task orders. So right. your, your marketing is going to uh, help you remind the, uh, the people uh, who are awarding the task orders, those program managers that uh, you're there, you're viable. Uh, and it doesn't matter the size, you're a winner. So you must have the uh, you must have the chops to be able to perform. That's right. You got to keep marketing those task orders. They're just not going to magically fly to you. You know the old saying: ABS always be selling. <laughs> yep, <clears throat> always be selling. So um, let's let's wrap up here. What what's your what's your advice to the uh, the smalls and the mids competing upward? I think one of the key things, and I'll tell you, we have a resource that's very um, that's very helpful if you're interested to learn more. It's on our website, and it's a white paper that we just recently updated that really explains the entire process and whose role is to do what. And it's called Aligning Marketing and Communications for Must-Win Contracts. Um, and that is a white paper that is on our website. I think that's probably a tremendous tool. And then there's also, you know, a couple of case studies that are important, but, um, but that white paper is, is really filled with um, expert opinions and not just from us, but from other people who have, who have um, engaged in pre RFP marketing. Cool. Joyce, thank you so much for joining me today. Greatly appreciated. It was a pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me today. Sure. This is not my day job. Like Joyce, I do advise companies on the marketing side of the universe, but I specialize in helping companies build that thought leadership position, leveraging content and primarily uh, LinkedIn, because it is where everybody resides these days and it's where we're all vetted. 
So if that resonates with you, drop me a line, markamtower at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. e-commerce merchants. Does consistent monthly growth while hitting ROI goals sound good? Here at AdRoll, our customers constantly let us know it feels good. AdRoll helps you attract new customers and bring shoppers back to finish the sale. Integrate your e-commerce store with AdRoll and manage display, social media, and native advertising all in one place. Sounds good, right? See the difference. Visit AdRoll.com to get started today.